Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Even though markets have made a bit of a comeback over the past month or so, a technical look at the charts and a couple key data points that we'll get to today paint a totally different picture. I'm Andy Gersher, and this is Games. All right, let's bring on Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Macro Tides out of San Diego. And Jim, give us that special offer for the GAINS listener. Always happy uh, to faithful listeners of the GAINS podcast to offer a recent uh, publication. So last week I put out the April issue of Macro Tides. Uh, it's about 15 pages or so, and it takes a look at you know monetary policy in detail, what's going on with the economy, and then obviously trying to tie all that using technical analysis on the, you know, S&P, bonds, dollar, gold. Um, and so, so uh, faithful listeners, send me an email, jimwelshmacro at gmail, and I'll send you the April macro ties, and I might even send you a recent weekly technical review, which reviews the markets, uh, you know, more from a technical lens, and it's more short-term in ori- uh, orientation. And that technical lens that you see through is often why we bring you on the Gains podcast for some clarity. It's been a little while since we've had you on, so I just want to kind of talk about what's the setup been here in the last month or so. Well, I think fundamentally uh, the economy has surprised a lot of people uh, that it hasn't been weaker uh, due to the rate increases by the Fed. And that's one of the things I focused on is when a lot of people said there was a recession in place last summer, I said, nope, we're not going to have a recession in 2022. First part of this year, same thing. My take has been, Andy, to look for serious weakness much before mid-year this year was just a waste of time. A, because consumers still have a lot in savings, somewhere between a trillion and one and a half trillion. Uh, things like Social Security increases in January, 8.7% for 66 million uh, people. 26 states increased their minimum wage. As we know, wage growth uh, has been really pretty strong, depending on the sector, 5 to 6%. So my point has been is that consumers have a lot of wherewithal still to continue to spend, and that that is the main reason why, the, A, the economy hasn't gone into a recession, but it's also why I think Wall Street has misjudged the economy. And as you know, uh, they went from, oh, we're probably in a recession last summer, 
to now the, the phrase is no landing. In other words, people are t- basically saying, well, since we haven't had a recession so far, we're not going to have one. So that philosophy and thinking, Andy, is why selling pressure has been really low in recent weeks, other than obviously that hiccup that we saw with the regional bank crisis. But on balance, if you look at volume, it's really been contracting. And it's because I think most investors think that the economy is okay. Earnings are going to be okay. Wall Street expects earnings to go from just over 50 bucks in the first quarter to over 58 in the fourth quarter. So the mindset on Wall Street is that, uh, you know, earnings are going to be okay. uh, And the Fed funds futures has been looking for the Federal Reserve to potentially uh, increase the fund rate one more time at the May 3rd meeting by 25 basis points. But more importantly, begin to lower the funds rate starting in July with at least two rate cuts. So basically, Wall Street has been, you know, like the perfect scenario where the Fed uh, moves to cut rates. The economy doesn't go into recession. Earnings keep growing. What's not to like about that picture? So that to me is why selling pressure has been so low in recent weeks. And we don't have much selling pressure it puts uh, upside pressure on those who are short. And that's, I think, when one of the drivers in the last two to three weeks. Now, on the technical front, though, you got to look at things below the surface here, though, because we're not in the all clear by any means. I, I don't think so. Um, again, technically, the rally uh, has been led by a very small number of stocks, the big mega cap stocks, you know, Apple, uh, Microsoft, uh, Meta. And if you look at market breadth on the over-the-counter, the NASDAQ composite, the advanced decline line over-the-counter is almost back to where it was last summer or last October, pardon me. So mar- the participation in over-the-counter has been really, really weak. New York uh, composite in the New York Stock Exchange advances and declines. It's been a little bit better, but not all that great. So the point being is you've had a rally led by a small number of stocks. And historically, what happens typically, uh, Andy, is when those stocks give up the ghost, it's very difficult, to, if you will, for the remainder of stocks that haven't been participating to pick up the ball and run with it. You usually need some kind of uh, stimulus to, you know, in a sense, force that change to happen. And I, it's hard for me to imagine that, that we're going to get anything from the Federal Reserve uh, that would provide that kind of uh, Uh, impetus for the broad market to do better. In fact, I think we're going to see just the opposite uh, over the next handful of months. The um, handful of stocks that you've talked about that have done really well are some pretty high-profile tech companies, some other really high-profile names kind of garnering the the headlines here, and I think that muddies the picture. Um, It does. Uh, It garners more attention. So a lot of people, when we saw some of the big-name tech companies lay workers off over the last six months, you know, immediately, oh, my God, if those companies are laying people off, boy, the labor market must be really weak. Nope, not not what's happening uh, in terms of the number of employees involved relative to the 155 million people are working. It's a very small fraction of the total. In the meantime, we've seen job growth continue to be pretty strong. The unemployment rate at 3.5% is near a 53-year low. And the point I've tried to make uh, to in, in my writings is that Chair Powell switched. Uh, he did pivot last November 30th away from inflation as being the key metric to the labor market. 
in his Brookings speech. And I think Wall Street is still fixated on inflation coming down. And since last October, I've written about how much uh, the CPI was going to fall in the first six months of this year, potentially by June. It'll be under 3.5%. But if you look at the labor market, which Powell has consistently uh, referenced in recent months, he calls it extremely tight. And with the unemployment rate near a 50-year low, there is no way the Federal Reserve is going to lower the funds rate in the second half of this year. As no long as the unemployment way. Rate There's no way. Yeah I'm, okay? I'm, yeah, I'm I'm. there with okay. you. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. So, again, you know, Wall Street, had, the Fed funds futures are pricing in rate cuts. And I just think, again, it's a complete misjudgment where they're overemphasizing the decline in inflation. Is it welcomed by the Fed? Of course it is. But they believe that the tightness in the labor market uh, and the upward pressure that puts on wages is one of the keys to getting inflation down towards their 2% target and then it's staying down at that level. Uh, Powell has also said the bigger mistake would be to lower interest rates prematurely. And this brings up, I think, a really key setup for the market. In the last 20 years, and you and I have talked about this, inflation has been hovering around 2%. So whenever the economy ran into any difficulty, the Federal Reserve very quickly lowered the funds rate in response to weak economic news. But with inflation at 5 to 6%, yes, it's going to head down in coming months. But the Fed's hands are kind of tied. There's no way... They're going to ride to the rescue at the first sign of real economic weakness. And Powell has communicated this numerous times and very clearly. And I think that's the uh, challenge that the market is going to face. As we get closer to mid-year and in the second half of this year, I think the economy is going to see a serious slowdown. In all likelihood, by the end of the year, be in a recession. But at the front end of that slowing, Andy, Wall Street's going to be expecting the Fed, hey, right, look at, oh, it looks like we might actually be going into a recession, expecting the Fed to cut rates. And the Fed, I think, is going to hold steady and they're not going to rush to cut rates. And I think that creates a one to two month window where the stock market could lose 15 percent pretty quickly um, because investors are disappointed that the Fed isn't responding as they have in the last 20 years. You made an important point. You don't want to turn uh, course immediately. We saw how they did that prematurely in the 70s and inflation became even a bigger problem. So I'm there with you. They are going to hold the course and I don't think Wall Street believes them, which then brings us to the technical setup. I'm looking at the chart right now. Explain the setup, what you're seeing on the charts and why there is uh, some potential downside in the uh, in the wings. Okay. So really quickly, before we get there, I want to just emphasize why I feel pretty confident that there's a recession coming in the back half of this year is that if you look at the yield curve, which inverted in July of last year, the average lead time going back 60 plus years is 19 months. So we're just past that average, if you will, uh, Andy, uh, the leading economic index, uh, has declined, I think 10 out of 11 months and it's reached a level that has presaged a recession going back every single time without a miss the last 50 years. And finally, lending standards, which you and I have talked about, I'm sure the last uh, few times we've had conversations. In the fourth quarter, 43% of all the banks had already increased lending standards. 
historically, going back the last 35 years, whenever more than 20% of banks had increased lending standards, we've had a recession every single time. Ooh, that's a good so, that's a good nugget. I did not realize that. Go ahead, go ahead. And then you toss in the regional banking crisis, and we're going to see small banks, less than two hundred and fifty billion in assets, are going to respond even I think more aggressively uh, by raising uh, lending standards. Well, small banks in this country provide seventy thirty seven percent of all the credit provided. Uh, by the banking system to consumers, small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, Small banks provide 67% of all the commercial lending. There's over a trillion dollars worth of commercial loans coming due in the next 12 months. So as these loans come due, this is why it's not an on-off switch. So yes, they're increasing lending standards, but if I have a loan with my bank that isn't due until September, well, the crunch time happens in late August going into September. So my point is this drag from the higher lending standards takes time, just like higher interest rates, takes time to slowly work their way through the economy and put downward pressure on economic growth. The same thing is going to happen to um, uh, you know, liquidity flowing into the economy. So if you're a small and medium-sized business, uh, you go to your bank, your small bank, and they may or may not extend the loan, they may cut back on the amount, or yeah, Charlie, we'll give you the loan, but you're going to pay 50 basis points to 100 basis points more to get the, to get the loan. So my point is why I'm confident about a recession going, you know, uh, taking hold before the end of this year is because I'm looking at three indicators that in the last 50, 60 years have been flawless. Now, in the meantime, you've got Wall Street hoping that there isn't going to be a recession. And I said at the beginning, the reason why they've come to that conclusion is because, hey, the Fed's increased the funds rate 475 basis points. The economy is still okay, but they're overlooking the the role that the trillions of dollars that were sent out to consumers back in 2020 and 2021, that consumers are still sitting on a lot of cash. And that's helped them really weather, if you will, the, if you will, some of the near-term pressure from higher interest rates. So I, I think it's not a question of, uh, gee, has the recession been avoided? No, to me, it's a question of when is it going to start? And I just think that that's the reason why Wall Street has kind of gone for the head fake and thought, gee whiz, if we haven't had a recession by now, it's not coming. And um, I just think that uh, based on history, and the reliability of those three separate indicators, um, I'm pretty confident that we are going to see it at a minimum, a significant slowdown, which means at least one quarter of negative growth. And as I said earlier, Wall Street expects earnings to go from just over 50 to over 58 bucks by the end of this year. Ain't going to happen. And if we do go into a recession, they will be cutting rates. And while they're doing that, I don't think the Fed's going to ride to the rescue. So it's like the perfect recipe um, for the market to get banged up. But in the near term, as long as people can believe in this, what I think is somewhat of a fantasy, no landing. Um, and, you know, the first quarter, the Saint, uh, pardon, the Atlanta Fed, they have a GDP now cast. And, it, you know, their guesstimate uh, as of last week for the first quarter was 2.5%. So that strength that we've seen carry over from last year into the first part of this year likely means that a lot of companies' earnings are going to be okay. And that's going to further embolden, if you will, those who believe in the no-landing 
uh, scenario. And in the short run, again, it keeps selling pressure light, which means the market can move uh, more to the upside. And now it's like, well, how much more can it rally? And that's where we're looking at the charts. The S&P dropped from 4818 in January of last year to just under 3500 in October. The 50% retracement of that move is 4155. So where's the market right now? Basically 4155. Um, if I'm right, and we may see some more strength. In other words, if some of the big cap companies come through with decent earnings, um, uh, I, the, the 618 retracement is up around 4310. So we have a significant high that took place, Andy, the first couple of days of February at 4195. And these numbers that I quote are always interday numbers, not closing. Um, and, and so to me, if the S&P can get much above 4195 and get above 4200, there, that will unleash another wave of short covering. And people saying, hey, if, you know, if the S&P rallies above 4,200, there's going to be those who say the market is telling me that uh, the worries about the economy are overblown and everything's going to be okay. I, you know, so that's to me the setup that potentially we could see the S&P rally up towards 4,300. Now, if it gets much below 4,070, um, then uh, you know I think the S&P can quickly drop towards the 3,950 level. Um, when you say when term, you say quickly drop, I mean, are you looking at potentially could they retest those lows that were put in late la- like uh, October last year? That's when. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. My expectation is that the rally from the October low is, uh, without getting too wonky about it, right. that the decline from January of 2022 to last October is a wave A. This rally is a B wave. And it's going to retrace either 50%, 618, up near that 4310. And then I think there's a C-wave decline coming uh, that will test the October low. And I think potentially uh, the S&P will drop towards 3200. Um, So that's my expectation. So it's a question of, all right, trying to be patient, wait for whatever near-term strength continues to play out. But I, in my view, uh, if the S&P rallies up towards 4,300, uh, that would definitely be a place, I think, to go short in anticipation of a decline at least back to 3,850, which was the low in mid-March. If that gets taken out, the next stop is 3,500. So uh, I think volatility, which is really low, I think the VIX traded under 17 today. Um, again, near-term, um, in order to change the dynamic that's in place, uh, we have to get economic data that calls into question the idea that there won't be a meaningful slowdown slash recession. And that's going to take a little while before that data really shows up. So, uh, again, near term, I think the market can work its way higher as long as it stays above 4,070. That was a recent low uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and above 4,195. I would assume the market will accelerate towards that 4,300 as you get short covering. And again, people like to believe that markets discount the future. And some of the time, markets are correct. (laughs) Some of the time, they're not. And so I'm in the view that markets are, are way too complacent about the idea of a recession. 
ignoring, you know, reliable indicators that have worked uh, impeccably for the last 50, 60 years, just because, gee, we should have had a recession by now and we haven't had one. Therefore, there won't be one. Yeah, that logic that logic works really well, right? <laughs> Until it doesn't. Until but, it doesn't. Well, and and, yeah. that, and that's the thing. That's why we use the charts and, and these, these various yep. uh, data points. Hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if that's an option for you. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday. We'll be right back uh, with Jim after the break, talking about how to get cover and maybe how to play all of this. We'll be right back after the break. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, back with Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at Macro Tides out of San Diego. Little love for the Gaines listener, Jim. Uh, send an email, Jim Welsh Macro at Gmail, and I'll be happy to send you the April issue of Macro Tides. So as we are heading to break, Jim, we were talking about don't get tricked here. The general narrative might not be so close to reality, the Wall Street narrative that a lot of uh, investors are clinging on to. But how do you play all of this? I, I know that there you've talked about you know some short-term yep. trades, you know, potentially even going short. At what level? Remind our... Uh, I would say around 4,300 uh, to 4,325, as I noted, the 618 retracement of the decline from 4,818 to 3,492 is uh, uh, 43.11. So I think as we get closer to that number, uh, that's a good place to go short. Um, uh, the other point, again, my assumption here, let's put it from a bigger picture standpoint. The markets are working on the assumption that the Fed is going to be cutting rates in the second half of this year. Even though the Fed, Chair Powell and such, have explicitly told them that we're not going to do that. If you look at the projections that the Fed provides every three months at the December meeting, at the March meeting, both times they said, okay, we're going to lift the funds rate to 5.1, and then we're going to hold it there for the whole year. That's their intent. That's why I think they will raise the funds rate to 5.1 at the May 3rd meeting. But if the markets are wrong 
that the Fed isn't going to be cutting rates in the second half of this year, uh, soon at the you know the first sign of softening, then the markets have to make an adjustment. And one of the adjustments I think would be strengthen the dollar. People are looking for the Fed to cut rates. The dollar has been backing off. That area around 100 to 101 uh, pose is a potential double bottom there. Um, I think it's going to hold, and I think the dollar has the potential to rally above the high. Uh, a few weeks ago at 105.88. That being the case, uh, and the dollar had a nice reversal last Friday, and it took out the prior low by four pennies and then immediately popped. Uh, Gold, I think, is topping uh, and may have topped last week at uh, the 2047. Um, I think gold is going to trade down to the low 1900s. And lastly, I would recommend TLT. Uh, If I'm right about the economy showing progressive signs of weakness as we get towards mid-year and beyond, I think Treasury yields have the potential coming down. So if TLT trades under 103.60, that was a low uh, from uh, two, three weeks ago. Um, I think the potential is we're going to see TLT rally up to 115 to 117 for various technical reasons. There's measurements and stuff I won't bore anybody with. If it trades much below 101, I'm probably wrong. So to me, that's the big picture of how this fundamental story potentially can play out in the markets. A little more strength in the S&P, and then I think we're vulnerable to a pretty good size sell-off. A dollar gaining legs as people come to realize that the Fed is serious. They're not cutting rates in the second half of this year, which then I think is a, a headwind for gold. And then as the economy slows, I think Treasury yields come down. So that's my game plan. And as far as bear market fatigue, do you think a lot of people are experiencing bear market fatigue? We had so many years that you could trade the market. You know, you know how higher markets float all boats. Yeah. And, and it's it's really easier, much easier to make money in a, a raging stock market, of course. Do you think yeah. that these investors are just, they've been on the sidelines for so long, they've been roughed up that maybe bear market fatigue is setting in? Maybe a little bit. Uh, at the same time, the S&P is up, I think, about 7 or 8%. Uh, bond yields have come down. So the 60-40 portfolio, which had its worst year in decades last year, you know, has made a comeback. So some of the fatigue and you know negative vibe, if you will, at the end of last year has been replaced to, okay, things are getting a little bit better. And even, you know, to the extent that some fatigue is setting in because people got spoiled for a while with the market continuing to work its way higher on balance over much of the last decade, uh, it's a long way from capitulation. And capitulation is when people can't take it anymore. And if I'm right, and the S&P takes out the low from October, I think that's when you get to the capitulation phase where people's uh, hopes were raised by the recovery we've seen so far this year, both in the bond market and stocks. Uh, and then all of a sudden it gets dashed. And uh, gee whiz, we do go into a recession and people, oh my God, things can only get worse from here. That's where you get the kind of capitulation phase. And that's how the S&P potentially gets down to that 3,200 level. And that 3,200 level, just again, to throw some numbers out there from the low in March of 2020, which was just under 2,200, to the high at just over 4,800. The 618 retracement is 3,200. 
the 50% retracement was around 3,500. Where did the S&P bottom last year? Just below the 50% retracement. The low in June was just below the 382 retracement. So that's where these numbers can potentially be helpful in terms of, okay, where might the market go? And then try to figure out, okay, what's going to drive that, especially, you know, moves to the downside. So that to me is, you know, some fatigue maybe for some people, uh, but, the, you know, some of the sectors that got beat up the most last year, namely tech stocks, have had the biggest rebound. So, uh, like I said, I, I think the rebound in the market and bond market has kind of taken some of this thing from last year away. Um, so, there, yeah, there's probably some fatigue just because, geez, it's going on 18 months and we ain't hitting new highs or whatever, number 15 months, and we're not making new highs. That's what I also wanted you to hit on. You, you mentioned capitulation. We see capitulation at the bottom. It's like I, I, I love actually seeing that. Then that just screams by. But explain what capitulation is, especially at the bottom. When you see it, it's like you, you almost know it's the bottom because everybody gives up on the market. And explain that. And it's really scary um, because the market's losing a lot of ground in a short amount of time. And that's why you know, I've been saying for months now that there's a risk that we get to this one or two month window where the economy shows a lot of signs of slowing. And yet the Fed doesn't provide a lifeline and earnings are getting cut by Wall Street. That's where you could get 15 percent down in three weeks. And it's the puke phase where people who've been hanging in there, hanging in there. And all of a sudden you take out a prior low and they're, you know, from an institutional standpoint, there's going to be stops under the October low. Um, and so that adds to the selling pressure uh, that could develop when the fundamentals get ugly. So the news is ugly. Unemployment rate ticked up last month to 4.2%. You know, uh, that's the kind of stuff that just gets people thinking that, oh, my gosh, there's no end to sight. And they get their statements month after month, and now they're down even more, and they finally just can't take it anymore. And what happens is, since the markets are very psychological, you've got fear and greed. Greed, you know, this happens near tops, but it affects people uh, generally over periods of weeks and months. Fear is a completely different animal because it's much more intense than greed, and it's more time compressed. You know, when all of a sudden the market loses 10% in two weeks, everybody's kind of feeling the same thing. And that's where you get, you know, another 5% uh, unfolds. So uh, my point is, if this scenario plays out anything close to this, Andy, being able to look ahead a little bit and come up with a game plan and a framework for the market is pretty helpful because it would be tough if the market's fallen out of bed, the S&P gets down near 3,200. There's no reason it can't go to 3,100, 3,000. But when that capitulation phase uh, happens, that's the time when it's really hard uh, to overcome the emotional aspect. But again, if one has a game plan ahead of time, it makes it a little bit easier to say, okay, I got to put some money to work. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> you know, that's the absolute. Or a third or something, you know? And by you the know, way, that's the absolute worst time to sell. And you always hear throw the baby out with the bathwater. They give up. Yep. And uh, that is the absolute worst time to sell. I mean, I, I, you hear about it all the time. Yeah, it, it often moves lower, but then often it comes back. Uh, with uh, some fury as well. Yep. Uh, yep. It, you get that down fat five to eight percent. The last five to eight percent happens like a swoosh, and then the selling exhausts itself, 
and it's like a ball that's being compressed under water. You let go of that selling pressure, what happens to the ball? It bounces to the top and bounces, you know, out of the water. And that's exactly why trying to step in with a portion of somebody's portfolio uh, into the teeth of that decline uh, makes sense. Because this, when the turnaround comes, uh, it's like a vacuum gets created. All, pretty much all the selling is done, and then there's no one left to sell. Are you even able to... Devices. Are, are you e- even able to dollar cost in a position like that? A lot of times it happens so fast. Yep. Um, but uh, it, it w- would you say, how, how do you play that bottom, Jim? Well, again, I think as if the S&P gets down near 3,200, one has to start uh, investing some money, whether it's you know 25% of your available cash or a third. You have to take some pilot positions um, as that's unfolding. Typically, what will happen is you get a big snapback rally, then a subsequent sell-off. You know, because, you know, what happens at most bottoms is you get this selling spasm that takes place. And a lot of decline happens in a short amount of time. Not everybody responds to it. The emotion is like, oh, my God. And then the market rebounds. And the people who didn't sell when the market was 10% higher, they look at that, oh, my God, that's a gift. Because the news is still going to be ugly. The unemployment rate will continue to be moving higher. We'll get economic data points showing that industrial production fell 1.2% less. You know, I mean, the retail sales were down 1.5%, more than what people are expecting. You know, so you get a bounce, and then you get another wave of selling that sometimes takes the market to lower lows, sometimes just down near the prior low. So to me, when you get that kind of uh, environment, Dollar cost averaging, I think, makes an awful lot of sense. No one's trying to be perfect. So when you get that phase, you get near 3,200. If it happens, you commit some money knowing that, okay, if it goes to 3,000, I'm going to commit some more. And then as the market runs through the bottoming phase and begins to show some positive momentum, uh, and you can be a little more assured that the bottom is in place, um, you know, then you can commit the last third or quarter. And that, the, and, that's the perfect environment to do exactly what you're talking about. And the market turns before you see the evidence in the economic data. And I mean, everything yes. turns around often ahead of time before it becomes evident that things are, are getting better. It gets less bad. Yeah, it gets less you know, bad. Retail sales were only down 0.9. Analysts expected a 1.2 percent. You know, I mean, that's what happens. And so people say, well, wait a second, maybe the economy, you know, isn't going to just keep heading south um so but again one has to have a game plan and um kind of be anticipating some of this stuff um now is it possible that uh, we won't have a recession absolutely at the same time given the reliability of those three indicators we've talked about andy uh i just think the probability of a fairly uh, meaningful slowdown with at least one quarter of negative GDP growth. And if that happens, people start worrying, well, maybe we are going to have a recession. All it takes is one data point that comes in weaker than expected. It's like, oh, boy, I guess the whole idea of no landing was uh, a little too optimistic. Um, So I still believe that there's a wave of economic slowing that's coming that's going to cause the stock market to – pull back, you know, because earnings estimates are going to get cut, you know, but it's just, like I said, 
you need something to convince people that the, the optimistic scenario isn't, you know, unfolding as planned. And that's going to take a little while here. And that's why the lack of selling pressure to get some decent earnings out of the mega cap stocks. Um, you know, again, I can see the S&P getting up towards 4,300 just because getting above 4,200 will be taken as a green light by, you know, people like, as I said, they're going to interpret it as like the stock market is telling me that we don't have to worry about a recession because people believe markets discount the future. <laughs> you know, so it's an interesting psychological phenomenon. Well, big thanks to Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager at macrotides.com in San Diego. And hey, be sure to subscribe, follow, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I've been told that's podcast gold. Totally appreciate the solid there. And as always, subscribe and turn on those notifications so you know when a new Gains episode drops. We drop Gains episodes on Wednesday. And I look forward to seeing you then. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus ATT and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.